starting at Matthew uh, 523 or 423. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those repressed by demons, those having seizures and par paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be so called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revel you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, yeah. I never know where to put this. Ooh. How's that? Huh? Good enough. You're so happy. I know you just get chills up and down your spine and quiver in excitement when I bring out the board. Here we are. I'm very thankful that we have a church filled with people that I can walk up to uh, seconds before we're about to preach and say, hey, will you read these scriptures in front of everyone? And we have people say, yes, I'll do that. Please never ask me to do anything on the spot again, but yes, I'll do that. No, that's not what he said. But uh, uh, I like it when we have other people read the scriptures. Do you expect me to get up here and say stuff about the Bible, right? That's what happens. But it's a blessing when we acknowledge that these scriptures are for everyone, not just for hired holy people, not just for special priests, prophets, and kings. These scriptures are for everyone. They're historical. They account, uh, they relate to all people of all times. And so uh, whether I'm reading them, Mr. Lee's reading them, or a child's reading them, right? Uh, they all speak to us in the name of God. And so it's exciting to do that. We want to always be reading scripture. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for so many weeks. You don't even want to hear about it. I'll tell you, and you'll be like, holy cow. Uh, but we'll be in Sermon on the Mount for a while, about 16 weeks. Then we'll be in Judges. Then we'll have Advent, Bob's your uncle, 2022, right? So hold your breath. Here we go. Some of you are like, oh my gosh. That, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's going to fly. Here's the thing. We just got done talking about uh, the characteristics of God. God describes himself. And every time we talked about one of those characteristics, we came back to Jesus. Christ, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all characteristics of God, of everything. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in Scripture, all things hoped for. And so, as we move forward, if we're going to say that we are a church of Christians, we are disciples of Christ, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, we go, therefore, we make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we teach them to observe, obey all things I, Jesus, have commanded us. And remember that Jesus is with us always, even until the end of time. If those are the kind of people we are, right, then we need to understand who is Jesus? What's he teaching? What's going on here? No better place to do that than the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has a lot of teachings in there. I've been blessed this year to be slowly reading through that myself, and it's incredibly challenging and humbling. 
So I'm excited to go through it with you all. So we're going to be doing that. We are a church, welcome to Memorial, if you're new here, right? We are a church that values that. That's what we're all about. We want to be disciples of Christ. You can read that thing over there. That's nice. Every church needs a vision, mission statement. That's cool. Nothing to degrade that. That's what I care for, for you to read. That's what matters. That's the word of God, right? We can, we can write those sort of things all day long. We'll have a new one in 10 years. I'll die and move on. Someone else will come in. They'll rewrite that. But that will last forever right? And so we, from that, we say, we worship, connect, grow, go. We are a church that worships God passionately. We connect with each other authentically. We grow to know God deeply, and we go declare the gospel boldly. Again, those things give us a framework. I hope that as you're here, whether you're someone who's been here once, you're someone who's been here a thousand times, you were born and bred a memorial, that you see, hey, this is the trajectory. We're doing everything we can to be his disciples. We're doing everything we can to follow Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Um... Let's pray. Let's start with prayer and, uh, and ask the Lord to give us ears to hear his word. We're going to be in Matthew 4, kind of the end of that today, and then Matthew 5. And then for the rest of several weeks, we'll be in Matthew 5, 6, 7, so you know where to open your Bibles. Please grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hard-backed back, hard black one in front of you, in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it home, read it. We'll be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just marinate in that for several weeks. These are teachings of Jesus. Open your Bible right now. We're going to get into the Word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and we ask that through the power of your Spirit that you would break through fear, arrogance, pride, distraction, that we would open our hands and recognize our spiritual poverty. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your Word, teach us to repent, Teach us to understand your kingdom. May we be people who live in your kingdom reality and live as you've called us to live in Jesus. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. What, uh, what makes the world a better place? We're going to start here. Um, and uh, please don't give me your Sunday school answers. We're obviously going to get there. We're reading Jesus, okay? So, but in general... Uh, so, this is such a, I was, as I was asking this question myself and taking notes, I was like, all the things that I, I'm going to have to give the answers, because they're things that you all post on Facebook, but you're not going to say here in church, because people are going to get mad at you. But, maybe some of you will be so bold. What makes the world a better place? Sunshine. Whoa. Sunshine love? No, those are two separate things. Okay. I like that. Someone said sunshine first. I'm so pumped to write sunshine first. Yes. Amen. Who likes summer more than winter? Yeah, the right people. Good. Thank you. Where's my wife? Uh, anyway, I like summer. It's the better, better season. Uh, sunshine, love, right? And the Beatles said, all you need is... Ah, love's all. Yeah, what else? Just yell it out. What, what makes the world a better place? God. God, okay, yeah. Uh, common sense, hey. Oh, man, Common sense, and we'll just underline sense, huh? How's that? What else? Good music. Good music. Oof, yes. My people. Money. 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 Who sang that song? Anyone? Pink Floyd. Right? Pink Floyd? Okay, good. I got scared for a minute. Whoa. Who else? Food. Laughter, food. Oh, food. Dang. Food. I had one of the best steaks of my life in the last 72 hours. I don't even want to talk about it. It's incredible. Food. Someone else said something. Laughter, yeah. Live, laugh, love. That's a thing. Friendship, right? Friendship, family. Some of you are laughing at my terrible handwriting, I hope. Okay, uh, let, let me uh, consult. My list was a little more abrasive. I'm going to throw some things out here. I'm not going to write them now. Take more time. Uh, better political leaders. That'd make the world a better place, in theory. Some of you are pumped about that. Um, some of you won't say that in here because you don't want to be judged, but you're going to post on Facebook about it, right? Because you don't like the president or you think the president's uh, better than the last one, whatever. Uh, free health care. Some of you are like, no, what are the replications of that? And then other people are like, yeah, of course. Have you seen Canada, right? So um, no more drugs. Man, what if we legalized all the drugs? That'd make the world a better place. Ban bad weapons. How's that for a broad and comfortable thing? <laughs> Ban bad weapons. I was very careful with how I worded that, because some of you are like, you, don't, you take my, my guns. What about nuclear weapons? What if we ban them? Okay, yeah, let's ban those. Those are the bad ones. <laughs> but give me my Tommy gun. <laughs> uh, 
Can anyone else make a better Tommy gun noise? Didn't think so. Dick Tracy, anyone, anyone? I only know of Tommy Gunn through the movie Dick Tracy. Uh, whoa, I'm getting off so distracted here. Look up the time, see how much I'm wasting. No more porn. I wrote that on there. What if the, the billions of dollar porn tree, what if that just overnight was flush? Someone hacked the internet and said, here's a filter I put on it, done. Everyone who's ever been a part of it, you're fine, done. That would make the world a better place. Uh, water in waterless countries. You know $4 billion solves the water problem in all the world? Every four seconds. Now, now, two people just died without water every four seconds. So you can do the math on that. Some people say every six seconds, which is still a really high number, so don't judge me here. Every day, every hour, thousands of people are dying without water, right? And we could solve this with $4 billion. You know who makes $4 billion a day? Name an industry. Disney, NFL, Iron Man, right? Stop Iron Man for a day, close Disney, fix the water problem. Yeah, never mind, that's too much. Uh, what about dealing with the orphan issues? If one family in every Christian church, oh man, I'm losing this. If one family in every Christian church in America adopted an orphan, we would have no orphans in America. Think about that. That should offend you. It drives me nuts saying it out loud. One family in this church, one family at Capital West, one family at Capital City, one family at the thousands of Catholic churches in this area, one of them, just one, adopts one kid, no more orphans in America. What are we doing, church? That's, whew, calm down. Uh, what about fair prices for movie theater popcorn? Yeah. Whew. Ban Netflix. Some of you are on that bandwagon. Netflix stinks nowadays. Uh, not really. Uh, I put get Trump back in office so that some people would be pumped. Uh, get, away, get away from gasoline and into better energy solutions. There's a lot of Hulu commercials about that nowadays. Apparently everyone's caring about gasoline. So lots of things would make the world a better place. That's the point. And yet, all of you who are critical thinkers would say everything I've listed on here would still bring more problems because nothing's new under the sun. And we've had better times. We've had better political leaders. We've had better healthcare situations. We've had fair prices on movie theater popcorn. Maybe, I assume so. I wasn't alive in the 40s, but probably. And then, because uh, that was when things were right in the 40s. Uh, anyway, uh, all of us know these things are still going to be corrupt in some way. Why? Because we're people, because we're corrupt people. We all know, even without being in a room full of church people who are gonna give churchy answers, we all have an, a basic understanding that people corrupt things. Why? Because we read history books. When in history have things been great when people have been in charge? Never, just doesn't happen, right? <clears throat> and so some of us might be tempted to say, like uh, a few of us did say, hey, you know what would make the world a better place? Live like Jesus. Let's live like Jesus. Great, yes. And that's what we're going to be talking about. It would make the world a better place if everyone lived like Jesus. But the problem is, as soon as you say that, then you have this discussion of what and how. What does that mean to live like Jesus, and how would we do that? And we immediately want to start on this far end of the spectrum and say, I am only going to apply my Christianity to my politics, specifically my conservative ideals, and specifically what I think about these two candidates. That's where I choose to camp on Jesus. And that's not where Jesus starts. Jesus never told you who to vote for in Rome. He never told you who should be in charge of Israel. That was never his thing. Jesus taught about one major thing. And now we're on to the next point. Ooh, are you ready? Here we go. Let's talk about Jesus. We're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount, I promise. Let's talk about Jesus. What was Jesus all about? I had a professor ask us once in class, he said, what is the main mission of Jesus? What is he all about? It's a really tough question. I pose it to you. What is the main, what is Jesus all about? Main thing. You would, oh gosh, salvation was one. Glorifying the Father. Glorifying the Father. Ooh, hard to top, top that. Revelation. Revelation. Love. What is the main thing Jesus taught about? Hey, hey. Someone's a Bible student, I think. The kingdom. When you think of Jesus, please, for the love of everything that is right and good in the Bible, when you think about Jesus, your next thought must be kingdom. Stop thinking about personal salvation. It doesn't make sense outside of the kingdom. Stop thinking about love. It doesn't make sense outside of the kingdom. Stop thinking about anything else. And now, now you're slightly confused potentially. Good. We need to be there because when we walk into the Sermon on the Mount, it is about the kingdom. That's it. When we make it about us, when we make it about the church, when we, make, we get confused 
because we're automatically personalizing into a 21st century Western context. Stop for a sec. We need to understand what the kingdom is. To understand kingdom, we need to understand king, people, oh man, I'm just so bad at writing, and reign, which is a word I tried to spell right so many times today. And I, hey, is it E-I? Hey, all right. That does not look like an N, though, does it? We'll do a capital N. <laughs> Kingdom people reign. We're going to be talking about this. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 4. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. So many awesome things we could say there. Moving on, he calls some disciples to him, and it says, from that time, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach, saying... Repent for the heaven is at hand. This is what Jesus began to teach. Matthew is saying, hey, you know what Jesus began to teach? He didn't start with, oh, here's the beatitude. He said, no, no, you know what Jesus began to teach? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.15, we uh, talk about this a lot in the youth group. Uh, in general, Mark 1.15 is a great way to measure your life. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Your life should be marked as one who is continually repenting and growing and believing in the gospel. Repentance means to change your mind, to turn, right? To rethink about the things you think about. Repent, turn, look at the world differently. God loves you enough to say your mind is wrong. I want you to repent because the kingdom is here. It's now. So you should believe in the gospel, the good news. Why is it good news? Later on, Matthew 4, 23. He went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. We just sang, I was going to grab Scott's music. We just sang this line. I didn't know we were going to sing this song, and I got really pumped when this line came up. Scott's terrified that I'm messing up his music. It's verse 2. It's okay. Oh, I'm not going to find it. Aha! Chorus 2. From every people and tribe, every nation, tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? And we sing, he is. You sang that just a second ago. You sang these lines. You declared to God, you have made us a kingdom and priests to God. Calm down. You've made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. God created you to reign with the Son. Kingdom and priest. Here's what happened. God created everything, and it was good, right? You can, man, everything in the Bible comes back to Genesis 1 through 3. He created everything, and it was good, and it was his kingdom. And Genesis 1:27 says, and he created them both male and female. God created man in his own image. Both male and female, he created them. And then what did he do? He put them in the garden, and he gave them rule or to have dominion. Those are the phrases. To rule or to have dominion. This was God's big plan. Here's everything good that I've created. Look at the world around you. Think about what's good. Sunshine, laughter, all these things that make the world good. God gave those to you. He created them so that you reign, you rule with him. And we said, we want to reign in our own kingdoms. We want to do it our own way. And so we rebelled, we went against God, and we entered death and sin and pain of the world. And so you can look at this list of things that make the world better, right? And you can say, good music makes the world better, but there's a lot of crap music out there. You can say, love makes the world better, but you have not felt loved, and you've had people crush you claiming to love you. You can say, sunshine makes the world better, but there are days that have no sunshine, and you hate waking up and walking through the day, right? These things are not filling your every day. And that's not the world God created. That's the world we created through our sin and death. That's what we did. And you know this intuitively because you've had to ask someone to forgive you. You know you make mistakes. God created us to reign with him in his kingdom, right? And so he is king. We reign with him. We chose to rebel. So God chose a people for himself, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, uh, all through the judges, David, all these people, Saul, David, Solomon, to be his people. Come under my authority. And you have prophets, priests, and kings that continually biff this idea of reigning with God. They don't want to follow him. They kind of do sometimes, they kind of don't. We just preach over and over about the golden calf. Hey, we kind of want to follow you, but we kind of want to do it our own way too. It never works. Continual brokenness. And Isaiah comes along, a prophet, Isaiah 52, 70, or 7 and 8. And he prophesies how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, 
peace, making things whole, shalom, publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. There is this idea that the prophets, the priests, the kings, they had that God kept telling them that, hey, one day, we will truly worship him as king. He'll make all things right. The wicked will be separated. They'll be destroyed. We will fully be his people, and we will get back to reigning and ruling with him like we were supposed to. This is the hope. And so when Jesus comes in and he declares the gospel of the kingdom to us, we might miss that because we've made Jesus all about personal salvation. Or we've made Jesus all about something else, right? We miss that because we don't think about kingdom. The best thought you have about kingdom is make America great again, and that might be some warped idea you have of something that Trump said plus something in Christianity. Every church has all their freedoms, and we all can worship God together in peace, and everyone has harmony, and then it all breaks down somewhere because that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus in authority. No one else. Okay, And so when Jesus declares the kingdom, his hearers, they're like, whoa, this is it. This is everything we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for you to make things right because we've messed it up and we continue to see people oppress us and crush us and break us. And you said you'd make it all right, and here you are making it all right. Insert Jesus, and he comes and he says, repent. The kingdom is now. It is here. What does that mean? What does it mean to live in his kingdom? What does it mean that it's here now? Ah, I'm glad you asked. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. Jesus is saying, this is the gospel of the kingdom, and then you have a whole bunch of red letters in your Bible through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is teaching exactly what the kingdom is, what it looks like. And newsflash, it's upside down. It's not how we approach the world. And let me be careful here, because as a Christian, you're going to be tempted to read this and think, oh yeah, I like love. I like mercy, and you're going to be tempted to think, I'm going to cram these things into my current schema worldview. But when you take them as they are, and you remove all of your bias from them, you realize that this puts me in a very vulnerable, uncomfortable place. If I live like Jesus tells me to, it only ends in the cross. It only ends in death. It only ends in sacrifice, which is love. And so, as we read this, may it perplex us. May it make us uncomfortable because we're talking about the kingdom. It's upside down. It's not how we naturally work. And so we need to let the word of God bear its weight on us and make us uncomfortable because we put on Christ. We don't put ourselves on Christ. He is king. He reigns. We only reign through him. So we're going to get into it. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Who are the crowds at this point? Who are his disciples? We might be tempted to think it's the 12. Not yet, right? There's a few fishermen maybe we can name specifically from chapter 4. But who are the crowds at this point? Lee read about them. I'm going to read them up there. They're going to be on the screen again. Here's the sort of people that Jesus had gathered around, starting in Matthew 4, 23. And he went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Are these the kind of people you start a revolution with? Are these the sort of people that you want to begin a kingdom and say, these are the kind of people I'm going to rule the world with? No, these people stink. Literally. They're poor. They don't have anything to offer. In this society, in a Roman society especially, they have literally nothing they can't offer anything. And Jesus is about to tell them that they have everything. And it doesn't make any sense to us. And so, when you pass by people that you're quick to judge, we'll get to that when Jesus talks about judging later on, but you're quick to judge that person who, why don't they just put down their sign and get a job? Why don't those people quit, quit complaining about racial issues? Why don't those people just move to America? Why are they so, they got, why don't they just have better politics over there in that silly country? Bunch of idiots. Stop, because Jesus brought the kingdom first to people way worse than you. And maybe you're just like them and you don't realize it. These are the sort of people that gathered. These are all kinds of people, and he announces the gospel of the king to him. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed. What does it mean to bless? Make ah, make happy, yeah. So the Greek word specifically means make happy. And it's tricky because usually it's used about Greek gods. And so they're talking about appeasing the gods and the gods having favor on them. It's a mutual blessing together. And so for Jesus to use that Greek word, marikos, marikos it's a weird word, right? The Hebrew word that Jesus would have been piggybacked off of is 
It's the name of my second child. Asher, Asher, right, it means blessed, right? And when we went through Psalms, you might have remembered, we basically said, blessed is the good life, right? This is the way God intended things to live. Here's the most, man, you could read for hours and hours, which I have, about what the word blessed means, and you'll just cross your eyes, and what you'll come to is this. It still means favor with God. God looks favorably on these kind of people. It's what blessed means. And so, as we get into this, we say, okay, these are the kind of people that God finds blessed. These are the kind of people who live within the kingdom of God. And come to find out, these people must be Christians by literal definition. They must be those who follow Christ because that's the only way. Surprise, these people aren't the ones who are climbing the ladder, who have a whole bunch of money in their bank account, who, who have life contentment and security. These are broken, impoverished people, lowly people who recognize their need for God. We're going to talk through each of them briefly, and then we're going to look at them as a whole. As we talk about these Beatitudes, throw up the slide. Can we throw up the Beatitudes slide? Yeah. I'm sorry this is super small. And so some of you who are like, what are you doing, slide people? I made this slide. They didn't, okay? It's not Joe's fault. I made the slide. It was important to me to get all the blessings on one slide. Seeing it now, some of you are like, I can't read that. Open your Bible then. It's, it's on Matthew 5. I want you to see them all together because the Beatitudes go together. You're, listen, look at me. You're all Westerners, right? You're all from the West. Here's your temptation. This is a checklist. It's not a checklist, right? It can't be because a checklist implies you can do three out of eight things or whatever. You can go to the store and get milk but forget sour cream. One time, I sent Nikki to the store for sour cream and she came home with cottage cheese and I would literally never get over it. That was like 11 years ago and I feel the need to bring it up this moment. <laughs> How do you look? Anyway, um, I love my wife. Uh, man. I wish that she got to get up here and talk about how awful I am sometimes. Uh, you guys hear me talk about how wonderful she is all the time. So if you're new here, please don't think I dislike my wife. Usually when I talk about her, I cry. So it's a big deal to me. Don't want to dishonor her. Anyway, so when we look at the Beatitudes, it's not like a list. The Beatitudes all go together. You can't remove one without the other. These are best thought about like ingredients to a cake. You can eat cinnamon by itself, like two tablespoons of cinnamon, but that's terrible compared to eating a cinnamon roll. Yes? Right. You want the cinnamon roll. You don't want all the separate ingredients. If I brought you the separate ingredients and said, here's a cinnamon roll, you know, some assembly required, you'd be like, eh, this is not okay. Like, I want a cinnamon roll. And so think about the Beatitudes as a whole. You can't remove one. You can't say, oh, most of these things, but I'm not merciful. doesn't work that way. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. Also... I like the analogy of thinking about these as a stained glass window. Have you seen a stained glass window portraits? If you were to take an individual shape, I keep thinking about the one in the youth group, but if you were to take an individual shape out and you were to say, this is kind of a triangle, but I'm not quite sure what this shape is, on its own, it doesn't mean much. You could say it's blue and it's kind of a triangle, but it doesn't quite make sense on its own. But when pieced together with the whole, you see a portrait, a full image of things. And although you can make sense minimally of each individual part, you need the whole to get a picture of what's happening. The question we're asking is whose image is this stained glass window? Who are we trying to see? What kind of person is this as we read the Beatitudes? We're gonna keep leaving these on screen unless we have another verse to go through, read through them, or just open your Bible. Look through the Beatitudes with us. They go together as a chunk. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the poor in spirit? This is, a, this is a really tricky word to define. Uh, I decided just to go through all the Bible and see when is this word used. There is a word for those who are in the poor class, those who are uh, working, but they're just really poor. They're the lowest of the low. That's not the word used here. The Greek word used here is for those who are destitute. They are literally beggars because they have nothing this word for poor is, is uh, also connected to the word for cowering, for crouching down. They've got nothing. And Jesus says, these who have been stripped of all assets, they've got nothing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you were to stand before God, God just showed up. And he looked at you and he said, tell me about your life. You would, you would probably have a, some, something like this conversation. Man, I'm, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, God, and I'm sorry. But I did a lot of good things. 
I, I mean, I did some good things. We all do this. We do this when we're talking to our kids, when we're thinking about our own life. It's so natural for you to think through the good things you've done while also assessing the bad. Anyone who's had employees and when you do employee reviews, you're supposed to talk about the good things they've done and then talk about the bad to kind of weigh it out. This is natural for us. It's ingrained in us. And so before God, what we'd want to say is, but I, I did, I mean, think about the good things I've done, God. I still, I gave to this charity and, and, and I, I fostered this kid for a little, I did some good things. That's not what this is talking about. This is a posture of someone who understands not, you're not staying before God saying, hey God, I've got a lot of debt, but I got a little bit of money in the bank. No, this word is saying, God, I have nothing. I'm completely poor. I've got no money in the bank. In fact, I'm only full of debt, and all I can do is beg. Another time this word is used to help us make sense is in Revelation 3.17. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and same word for poor. They are poor. And this isn't obviously little poverty. He's talking about there. There's something else spiritual happening here. Are we a church that thinks that we don't need anything? That we've arrived? Do you have it in your mind that if only our church had X thing, then we would have arrived? That's our standard? Jesus looks at this church and says, you think that you're rich, but you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And actually, what he says to this church is, I spit you out of my mouth. You're not, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm, you're disgusting, I want nothing to do with you. Church, that's worth us thinking about. Is this the kind of church we are, or are we the kind of church who recognize our brokenness? He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, think about this great reversal. He's talking to these poor, afflicted, broken people, and then through that, it's rippling all through history, he's talking to you. Whether you sit here and you think you're rich and you're actually poor because we're all poor, or rather you recognize I'm the worst person in this room. No one knows how bad I am. No one knows the things that go through my mind. Jesus is saying, hey, you're blessed, and you have favor with God. You have the kingdom of God. The first people Jesus offers the kingdom of God to, people who don't seem to deserve it at all. And this would have baffled all the religious leaders of the day. It did. That's why Jesus argued with them all the time. Why? Why do they get the kingdom? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul uses the same word for poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus took our poverty, our brokenness, our debt, so that we could have the kingdom. This is what Christianity is. This is what it means to follow Christ, to understand this posture. I have nothing. And everything else in the Sermon on the Mount builds on this. Everything else in the Beatitudes builds on this. If here, none of this will make sense to you. And as we read it, you will be uncomfortable. You will be perplexed because you don't believe that you're poor in spirit. You want to have something before God to say, ah, I've done this. I got a little bit in the bank here. That's not what it is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This, this is not what we want, right? Like, of course we want to be comforted, but we don't want to be favored because we mourn, because this implies you ought to be mourning. You should be mourning. You should be sad. Who wants to mourn and be sad? Yeah, right? Eeyore, soggy waffle people. We don't want to be those kind of people, right? What is he talking about? Again, when you look at these as a whole, bring up all that. So, sorry, blessed are those who mourn. Let's skip down a few, right? We'll come back to me. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Who hears from the term hangry? Hangry. Who's ever been hangry? Stop pointing at your spouse. Wow, that's rude, all of you. No, hangry. All of you have heard stories of, uh, whether they're fake stories or true stories, of people doing really desperate, gross, weird things when they're starving or thirsty, right? Familiar this idea? Have you, been, have you heard about in the animal kingdom, animals who are deprived from food, they start eating weird things on the food chain, right? We will do ridiculous things when we're hungry and thirsty. And if you've experienced it, it's uncomfortable, right? We hunger and thirst for things, we do ridiculous things. Why? Because we could die, and it's really uncomfortable, 
and you're sitting there thinking, honey, if I don't eat in the next 10 minutes, I'm literally going to eat your head. We're going to have like a praying mantis situation. I'm going to devour you, and that's going to bring nourishment to our kids. Anyone know praying mantises? Am I just etymology? No? Okay. Etymology is not the right word. Entomology. Look at you guys. You bug people. Right. So this is the idea. Hunger and thirst. Now, what are they hungering and thirsting for? It's right there. You can read it. Yeah, you can't. It's really small. Righteousness. Right. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Again, in the Christian context, we're immediately thinking, oh yeah, God's imparted righteousness on us. Hold on. Righteousness in general is things being made right. It is the world being made right. It is a world in which God's kingdom is happening and everything's right. That, that sick people aren't getting sicker and dying. That, that people aren't taking advantage of people and crushing them. It's that they're wanting things to be right. Now, imagine a world where you hunger and thirst so much that you're groaning. You're hangry for righteousness. You're so desiring that things be made right. You know what's made right because you know Jesus. You desire this so much. Why would you mourn? Because the world doesn't have these things in it. They're broken. You're mourning because you know King Jesus. You know the righteousness that's supposed to be there. And it's not happening. That's a reason to mourn. That puts all of us in a state of mourning. Watch the news. You mourn over the news every day. To be meek is this, uh, blessed are those who are meek. Hold on, I gotta find it. Skipped ahead too much. Meek can also be translated as gentle. It's the same word Jesus used where he says, come to me, all of those who uh, are uh, burdened, uh, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and lie. I'm gentle in spirit. Same word used here for meekness. Gentleness. Meekness in the Bible is having uh, some sort of power, authority, control, and choosing to, to hold it back for the sake of others. It's kind of connected to the word compassion in a sense, but it's the idea of having power and authority and restraining it. So again, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you want to make something right, but, but you really can't. Now you're mourning. Now things make a little bit of sense. And Jesus says, you will be comforted in your mourning. It will happen one day. Jesus says that, that if you're meek, then you'll inherit the earth, right? He goes on to say, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. In your mourning, in your struggle, you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is compassion. You remember we talked about this, right? The womb of God. And then we go into the New Testament, and the word was splagunta. You don't care. It's a Greek word. And it still meant this compassionate care. We know what mercy is. You know what it means to show mercy to people. You see people and say, man, I, I have compassion for you. I care for your situation. I don't want to give you what you deserve. I want to take care of you. I want to help you. This is what it means to have mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. The word means undivided, straight, honesty, clarity. Those who are unwavering, they've decided, I'm going to purely and straightforwardly follow the Lord. I'm going to be pure and, and honest and true in my convictions and look forward straight. Those people shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace, coming, uh, same sort of idea in the Septuagint, the idea of shalom, which means like bricks without cracks in them, like a wall that's made complete. Shalom is connected with the idea of righteousness because it's making things right, complete together. May things be right, complete, good in your life. And we say shalom, the idea is peace be with you. May the God of peace come and comfort you and bring all things right, make them good and together. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who make shalom, who make peace. They shall be called sons of God. One of the hardest things to do is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to see brokenness in relationships and say, I'm going to make peace in that relationship. I mean, be real with me. Have you ever had a family dispute in your family? You got people in your family having a divorce. You know people, co-workers, who are going through family struggles. Church, we ever had a situation here where families are going through divorce or affairs or brokenness? What happens when you choose to be the person that doesn't say, oh, well, he's just a jerk and she's right? What happens when you choose to be the person who walks in and says, I'm going to make peace and I'm going to bring shalom? Both sides hate you, right? Right? When you choose to make peace, you will be persecuted. 
every time. Maybe in some magical context, you see the Lord move, and through the Spirit, we see things redeemed, and we get that hope, and it makes us hunger and thirst more for righteousness because we see it. But most of the time, if you see people who are broken in relationships, and you say, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm not going to choose this side or that side. I'm going to choose King Jesus and try to bring people together. You get crushed. And we know this because if you're a child of divorce, you've been crushed at some point, most likely. You've tried to make peace between mommy and daddy, and it didn't work out. So the church steps in and says, we want to be like Jesus. And that means we're going to be persecuted. That means that we're going to try to bring peace and make right relationships to bring shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. And as you do these blessings, you get to the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you do these things, remember they're all connected. They all go together. When you live in this way, persecution is going to happen. People are going to revile you because you're going to be pointing to a king and a kingdom, a reality that doesn't make sense to people. Let's not just spit on the poor and impoverished and say they should get better. Let's focus on political systems so they can get better. But we're actually going to suffer for ourselves. We're going to show mercy, show compassion. We're going to bring peace in their lives. We're going to hunger and thirst righteousness. We're going to mourn with them. That's a very different posture. And so when you're living in the kingdom, you take on all of these things. And you can't just do one. You can't say, oh, you know, I'm pretty pure in heart, and I've made peace a few times, but I don't have, I don't have mercy today. That's not really about me. It doesn't work that way. Because you're not merciful, you can't do the others. And so as you go through these, as you read these, I, I hope, I pray, that you find yourself where I find myself. That I can't get past number one. Because every one of these things don't make sense to me. I'm not a merciful person. I want what I want. I show compassion conveniently sometimes because it makes me look better, right? We do that. I'm not a peacemaker. I'm actually someone who just wants my life to be peaceful. And so I bring peace so that I feel more comfortable. I'm not really sacrificing for other people. So we come back and we say, we are truly poor in spirit. What do we do with this? This isn't a buffet. We have to take it all as a whole. When we read all of these things, this stained glass window. We, like I said, we can take each part and say, okay, I kind of understand poor in spirit, but it's a complex idea. And is it just talking about poverty or is it talking about actual spiritual things or both? It kind of looks like a triangle, but maybe a trapezoid. We kind of get it, but you put it in the picture of the whole. Whose image are we seeing? This is King Jesus. And when you start there, now you start making a little more sense of what it means to be poor in spirit, because we're not that way. But Jesus became this, and he was this. Can you imagine a person who, who was poor in life, in circumstance, of humble means, who, uh, who decided to mourn for others, who decided to be meek, had power but restrained it, who hungered and thirst for righteousness, who showed mercy, who was pure in heart, undivided focus, who was bringing peace, and who was utterly persecuted, kicked around? We're talking about King Jesus. When you see these things in light of Jesus, now we have some sort of hope. How do we come become like Jesus? We start with being poor in spirit. So this morning, I, I want to ask you, where do you find yourself in these? As we leave them up here, as you read them in your Bibles, we go through response time here in a few minutes. Where do you find yourself in these? Because maybe, maybe you're stuck on mercy. You heard me define it, and you say, ah, that's just not me. Maybe you're stuck on uh, meek. You're stuck on peacemaking. You think, man, I need some peace. I can't be a peacemaker because my life is utter destruction and junk. How can I bring peace? I need some of that peace. Maybe that's where you're at. May God lay these on your heart this morning. May this not be a time where you just hear me get passionate and talk about something I've been studying all week that's been so moving to me, and then you move out of here and forget it on Monday or by the time you finish lunch. I pray that God's word bears weight on us. I'm going to read these again because I can talk about them all day long. But I think God's word oftentimes speaks for itself. I'm going to read these again, ask a few questions, and then we'll, uh, we'll have the band come up here in just a minute. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your word is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, are we these kinds of people? Are we showing the city who Jesus is by submitting to him and saying we are poor in spirit? We're not pretending like Laodicea to be rich. We're not pretending to be awesome. We're not pretending to be anything but a bunch of people who come together who are poor in spirit and made rich because of Jesus. We have the kingdom because we are poor. That's what we have. For many of you today, for all of us, this is your posture. Go like this for a minute, if you would. Humor me. We talk about this. Sometimes you'll catch me praying this way. This is a mantra for me. I use this a lot in my life. You don't have to keep doing it. Um, I do this a lot in my life because it reminds me that I don't own anything. My money, my job, my business that I've built up, my awesome family, the big stinking turkey I shot a couple weeks ago, the turkey I missed last week, all the things that I think I have. I've got nothing. Any moment could be your time. Some of you, I will do your funeral this year. I'll do your, your parents' funeral this year. You don't know, and you think you have these things, and you don't. You are poor in spirit. May we recognize that today. As you read these things, as you think of your life, something's on your heart this morning. Some brokenness with your family, something you're trying to get past, insecurity, misunderstanding, overbearing work things, heaviness, this is your posture. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you need to open your hands to today? We're going to have the band come forward, move into a time response. A lot of times the time response is an obvious sign that we're about eight to ten minutes away from the service being over and lunchtime, and I get that. Don't miss this opportunity. What do you need to open your hands today? Maybe during the response song, you need to stand and worship with the song we're singing and declare, you are king and I'm your disciple and I worship you and I reign with you, King Jesus. But maybe you need to sit there, stand there and open your hands because you've got something on your mind and heart that you're not, you're not able to let go and you need to recognize how poor in spirit you are and open your hands to the Lord. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you need to open your hands towards your money and start sacrificially giving. You don't really believe that the kingdom's coming through Jesus Christ, through his church, so you don't really sacrifice your money towards anything, towards anyone. I would encourage you to start a posture of sacrificial giving. Give the money to the church. Not because I'm trying to have an awesome vehicle. Look at the vehicles I drive, come on. We're not trying to build an empire here. We just talked about not being like Laodicea. We're not trying to say, we're rich, look at us. We are trying to build the kingdom of God because Jesus gave it to us. In fact, let me even change that. We don't build the kingdom of God. King Jesus is doing it. We're obedient to him. Jesus brought the kingdom. We're living in it by opening our hands and sacrificial giving. Maybe your posture today is open your hands towards your money, towards your bank account, towards your time. God has gifted you to serve in the church and you don't because you're too busy. You wouldn't know how. You don't like kids. Youth kids bother you. I don't know how I could ever teach. I can't hardly read. Whatever your excuse is, maybe you need to open your hands and say, you know what? God has called me to serve his kingdom and him as king. I need to open my hands to that today. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord, join the church, whatever your posture is. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Open your hands during this time and ask the Lord, what do I need to acknowledge? How do I need to grow in being poor in spirit? How do I follow you as your disciple, Jesus? What do these things mean to me? God, I pray that your word would bear its weight on us and by the power of your spirit that we would hear you. 
Our words are so inadequate and feel like there's no way to fully cover these things, God. And I, I ask boldly that your spirit would, would work through anything that was said and all the things that were not said, that, that we would understand what it means to be your disciple, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors, ourselves, to humbly submit before you and say, I'm not, I'm not going to go make golden calves. I'm not going to rebel and have my own kingdom, but I'm going to submit to you as king. God, teach us to be a church. Teach us to be individuals who acknowledge our spiritual poverty. We only have debt before you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking on our poverty so that we could have the kingdom, so that we could be made right with you. May we be the kind of people who are blessed, who are living in your kingdom world as you've explained in these Beatitudes. God, help us understand how to live this way. Move us to respond in you now. If you need someone to pray with, I'll be up here. Others will be up here if you need to talk. This is your time. Let's respond to King Jesus.
posture that we want. If there's anything to overemphasize this week, I would encourage you to think through that the poor in spirit, those who have nothing, no spiritual assets, only debt, those are the ones who are favored before God. Those are the ones who are welcomed into the kingdom because those are the ones who understand they need Jesus. Those are the ones that understand only through Christ can things be right. You can be seated. We're going to move into a time of announcements, discipleship opportunities, things going on to help us connect authentically. Ahoy. Hi. High five, Carrie. Microphone five. <laughs> um, our discipleship question today is number 20. Who is the Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. And the verse is 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask Howard to pray over the offering. Our Father, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we come into your presence. And we thank you, Father, for your love and your kindness for us. We thank you for the blessings that we receive from you, O oh Lord, uh, daily. And Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you that we can come here and gather together and to worship you, Father, and to sing praises to your name. And we thank you for David, our pastor, that he can bring your word to us in, in a way that touches our hearts. Now, Father, we ask that you would bless this offering that we are receiving today, that you would bless it and, and use it, Father, in accordance with your will here in our church and throughout our community. And we thank you, Father, for it. And we just pray, Father, that we can live our lives in a way that would honor and bring glory to your name. And we ask that you would forgive us, O Lord, for our sins. And we ask it in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Tonight we have a member meeting at 5 o'clock in this room. If you are not a member of the church, you're welcome to come attend the meeting and find out what's going on. We'll have reports from all of our major committees. We'll have shepherding updates, financial updates. It sounds not so fun, but it is so fun. Uh, I promise we have a good time at member meeting. 
Okay, and then today, or this week, today after the service, I need a couple people to help me get out things for field day. We're going to have field day on Wednesday at JCAC, and so we need to pull some of the games and stuff out here so on Wednesday we can load the trailer quickly and go down and set up. If you still want to help on Wednesday, you can, but we're going to meet at that door at 2 o'clock and then load up the trailer, go down, set up, and we'll be, or sorry, 10 o'clock, we'll be back here by 2 o'clock, okay? And then um, I have a little game, okay? Everybody hold up there fists in front of them like this. No fingers up. All right. If this is true, put a finger up. You get a point. We're going to see who wins today, okay? People scare me. People scare me. That's true. Put up one finger. Oh, okay. Some people put a finger up. That's okay. People scare me when they have not had their morning coffee. Okay? I like being in the know. I, I, I want to know what's going on. I like to be in the know. I cook and people eat it. I cook and people eat it. Yeah. I'm a super shopper. Miss Vicky, you better have your finger up. I like to party. Grace. Grace, put your finger up. Okay. Decorating is my passion. Oh, Shelby, okay. All right. I like to get together with the guys or the girls. Okay. I enjoy hot beverages. Yes. I know how to use a calendar. Good. I'm the first person at a party to start cleaning up. I like meeting new people. Okay, if you have one finger hold up at all, except for people scare me, okay, all the other fingers, you are qualified for a very special position in our church. Did you know? You're qualified. You have to just have one of those things. Ms. Cheryl has been on family team for many years, and her family team all moved away in the fall, which is very sad for all of us. But it wasn't her fault. It's nothing she did. That is not why they moved. Okay. Let's clarify. But she is looking for people to join her family team. And that does not mean you are committing to host every single event of the church. We're looking for men to be on the team to plan men things. And women to be on the team to plan women things. And people to cook and people to decorate and people to plan and all those things. Miss Laura is not here today, but she's also looking for people to help with coffee. All you have to do, Miss Jeannie did it this morning, right? You put the coffee in the coffee pot, turn it on, and then you pour it into another container. When everyone's done, you pour it out of the container into the sink and rinse it out. I don't drink coffee. It sounds complicated, but maybe that's your thing, okay? All right. <laughs> the other two things I need you to know is children's camp signups are going on. If you have a third through sixth grader, you're going to be signing up for children's camp. And youth sign-up is going on. That's sixth through twelfth grade. And that is the highlight of everyone's summer, those two camps. So if you have questions about that, let me know. If you can help move things at the end of the service, meet me by that table. Hi. Thanks, Carrie. Two things, member meeting. If you're a member, you should be here. Not because we talk about stuffy business things, but because you are a covenant member of Memorial. And this is our time to gather and talk about membership stuff. This is how we're coming together to talk about how do we worship, connect, grow, and go. This isn't a stuffy time to argue about budget numbers. This is a time to come together and say, man, let's celebrate what God's done. We're going to be welcoming several members tonight and praying over them, thanking God and committing to them and saying, hey, we are covenantly bound together as members and more. There's a lot of things we do. We worship together. If you're a member, be here at five o'clock. It's going to be exciting. If you're not a member, you want to see what's up, come here at five o'clock. It's worth it. Uh, it'd be cool to check it out. Second thing, Sermon on the Mount, 15 more weeks. This is your posture. This week, Everything in your life, my job, my money, my kids, my stressful truck that keeps breaking down, that infuriating thing that's going on every day, this illness that doesn't go away, whatever it is in your life, 
Acknowledge your spiritual poverty. Open your hands and say, God, you tell me that the kingdom is mine. I want to recognize how poor I am before you and how great King Jesus must be. That's what we're doing this week. Please read the Sermon on the Mount. This week, read the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, all right? Next week, we'll be looking at another small chunk. As you go, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're going to be doing. If you have questions about discipleship, you're interested in how I get my kids into these things, how I get my spouse into these things, how do I follow the Lord? We've got a whole table over here full of resources that's trying to answer the question, how do I go and make disciples of all nations? How do I be a disciple myself? That's what we're trying to do. Let's stand as we close the service. Thank you, Howard, for praying over the offering. If you um, want to give, sacrificially give, tithes, offerings, those sort of things, there's a plate in the back. Um, we'll continue that posture and growing in that. Lord, thank you that we're able to gather. Help us to recognize how poor in spirit we are and how rich we are through you, Jesus, that, that your kingdom has come, your will is being done. I pray that that would be our guiding focus this week, that, that you would be our vision. Be thou our vision, O Lord of our heart. Guide us each moment to turn to you. Protect us from the distractions, the evil, the pain, the hurt, the things that, that draw us away from you. And may we turn our mourning, our lament, our hungers and thirst for righteousness, all these things to you and your kingdom through Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. We pray we continue to see stories of redemption of how you're changing people's lives and that we would continue to see lives change and following you to be your disciples. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit.